Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. I saw an issue come across recently talking about supporting slots in Phoenix Live View. If you're familiar with View, this is something that has existed for a long time. It's kind of an interesting way that you can kind of like create defined sections in your HTML and plop arbitrary HTML inside. So it's something really interesting. Jose gave feedback, was really interested in the idea, and basically gave the thumbs up to start working on it. So excited to see what turns up from this. Let's see, the Elixir Book Club jumped into Elixir in action. So actually, I'm a little late in announcing this, but uh, yeah, they they started uh, this past week. So by the time you hear this, they might be one or two chapters in, but better late than ever. Go check out the Discord group and uh, join if you want to read along with Elixir in action by Sasa Yurok. And next up, there was news about Supabase. It's often described as an open source alternative to Google's Firebase. And if you think of Firebase and you're not familiar with that, then it's kind of backend as a service. It's like a no-code backend API that you can hit that can do data storage. Well, this group raised $30 million, which is a big deal, especially for something that's an open source alternative. The reason we mention this is because Supabase is built from a number of different GitHub projects, and a lot of different languages are used on these different projects, but one of those projects is called Realtime, and that one is built in Elixir. So we have a link to that in the show notes, but the purpose of Realtime is that it listens to changes in the Postgres SQL database and broadcasts them over WebSockets. So what I thought was kind of interesting and just fun about this is this project seems to follow that idea of use the best tool for the job for all these different things they're using Rust over here and TypeScript over here and lots of different things. And for this, they're like, yeah, Elixir's the best tool for this job. And that was exciting. And also just showing validation that the market says this is worth a lot of money to solve this problem. And Elixir's helping solve that problem. So that's really cool. It's open source. You can go ahead and check that out too if that's something you're interested in. Supabase. That's just a fun thing to say, too. <laughs> Love their name. Supabase. Supabase. All right. New podcast is out called Elixir Newbie. The target audience for this is for those who, quote, want to enter into development, right? So I highly suspect a lot of, a lot of you dear listeners that are listening to my voice right now are very interested in Elixir. You know, you're, you're already in Elixir, perhaps. I imagine there could be a lot of folks out there, though, that I have no idea what Elixir is. <laughs> and I think, you know, uh, I, it's a little bit more hindsight at this point, but I think Elixir is a good first language to learn. But you're not going to see that in colleges and universities and all these, you know, all these online courses to get you from zero to hero, you know, quickly and, in, in, and into a development job at all. So very entry level, right? So these are currently folks that are not in development and want to enter into development. So anyway, Brooklyn uh, is the uh, host of that. Elixir newbie podcast. There's a link in the show notes to go check it out. And I think just from what I heard in in his podcast, just the the listen I gave, sounds like he wants to help solve that and introduce Elixir a little bit earlier to folks. So that's always a great goal. So thanks, Brooklyn, for for starting that up and I hope you success. I noticed a tweet from Jose Valim talking about a company that we know here on the podcast as Fly.io is sponsoring the project Livebook. That's some interesting news. Mark, do you happen to know something about this? We've talked before about the value of companies sponsoring different open source projects and things that they value and depend on. And Kurt, the CEO at Fly, 
loves Livebook. And he's actually given that as one of the reasons why Fly is moving some of its tooling over to from Rails to Phoenix and Elixir is just because of the awesome tooling, the awesome things, and Livebook being one of those. And so he wanted to make sure that we were giving back as a company. And so, yeah, they're funding that project now. So I'm excited. That's very cool. And next up was something I saw that was just really interesting to me. It is this proof of concept or a demo project showing running Android applications that are embedding Elixir in them and using a web view on the Android device to have it connecting to the local internal application and using live view to render it. So it's a full Elixir system on the phone. So I just think it's kind of crazy. And hopefully we can learn more about this and how this works and what kind of problems this might be a good fit for and just more about it. Crazy in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Also in the news, Mix Formatter might be gaining some new superpowers. So there's a PR up. So who, who knows where this will go? It's not merged yet. There is a way to configure Mix Formatter, though it is limited in its configuration. So, for example, when you generate a new Phoenix project, you'll import formatter dependencies from Phoenix and from Ecto, maybe. Those configs can tell Mix Formatter to, for example, omit parentheses on plug or omit parentheses on the field function in your Ecto schemas, right? Okay, so that's that's kind of all you can really do with Mix Formatter. And that completely leaves open like other languages too, right? So this is very Elixir focused as it should be because that's its job. <laughs> but these projects that we that we're running, especially in, in web oriented technologies, they, they're often including other languages. And so now there might be a way potentially to add plugins to mix formatter. And this plugin, all it needs to do is implement this mix format behavior. And you could theoretically format other languages when you run mixed format like markdown or html or json or anything right so the the opportunities are kind of wide open there so kind of interested to see where this goes and happy to see it next up we just wanted to mention that elixir conf eu has happened we are looking forward to seeing the videos and just wanted to pull your attention to it and stay tuned on to where to find them and when and lastly there was an elixir release 1.12.3 that kind of snuck past us and with not much fanfare and mainly because it's just a smaller bug fix release. But just wanted to make sure that you were aware that this is there and there are some bug fixes in case that's something you need to pull in. And that's it for the news. Today we're being joined by our special guest, Alexei Magusev. Alexei, welcome to the show. Hi everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could come. I know you from your work in the Elixir community. You are one of the Elixir core team members. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that means that you have direct commit access so that you could just commit directly to the master branch. Is that what that means? Is that what a core team member means? If it will be only that simple, yes, that you just have an (laughs) access, uh, but uh, it goes beyond this. Yes, you have the access, but at the same time, you participate in uh, a lot of discussions behind decision making. And also it depends who, who the person is and how they willing to contribute. Some people contribute more in uh, public presence and sphere of elixir. Uh, I usually contribute more code and discussions, but it comes to the any possible contribution to the greater extent, extent you can do from uh, whatever you can. 
Well, I'm glad you could come and talk with us because I would love to understand a little bit more about what goes on in the core team, just the Elixir language, but also who the contributors are. Who are the people behind what is pushing forward the whole language and the platform that we we build our businesses on? So with that, I'd love to just kind of learn a little bit more about you, but also your interests in Elixir, like where they come from, where they're where they go, and how you even came to find and work in Elixir. But first, maybe you can just kind of tell us where you live and work. I'm originally from Russia, but last seven years I live in Sweden. And uh, right now I'm CTO at Forza company, rather set of companies. We, we do Forza football mobile applications and there is uh, Forza FC, which builds a membership platform for clubs and it's more direct work with clubs. Uh, then we have a new journey to build a data company which we can use to sell our unique data there are a lot of data generated within the forza which is uh, unique and uh, precious speaking about elixir i started with elixir in 2012 i guess when there was no elixir so uh, originally i found that there is a platform attack dojo where folks from uh, Platform Attack were playing with tools, uh, some ideas, and uh, around that time I, I saw there is something with Erlang concurrency going on, and this caught my attention. I didn't uh, necessarily participate or looked uh, very precisely what was going on, but I just noted. Maybe I should check this again later. And then when I checked like half a year later, it was an Elixir repository. And it's really reminded me of Erlang, all the power of Erlang and being based on Erlang. But at the same time, Elixir provided Ruby joy, I would say, that uh, ease of interaction, how you reason about. Not necessarily that I don't like Erlang. And in fact, syntax uh, of Erlang quite appealing. And I, I really like the, how, how reasonable it is, uh, concise. It comes from Prolog and... Uh, I have no issues with Prolog either. Speaking ultimately about syntaxes, just some interesting point. I always think that would be ultimate if Elixir had a standard ML syntax. I'm not sure, but I have biggest preference towards standard ML, uh, ML family languages. Some ideas that uh, led me to even pick up or look at Elixir, it was I believe I read all the Erlang books and I got so into idea how you can express concurrency, how you express supervision, fault tolerance aspects. It was really something from the future to me when I looked like, wow, this is advanced stuff. Like why people don't use this uh, uh, everywhere? But uh, then reality came when I started to do more and more uh, interactions. I, I realized that tooling around was very, very bad. Like, uh, I remember it was even before Rebar times. It wasn't even Rebar 2, probably, or just around the time Rebar 2 appeared. And uh, it was painful. Like, you just uh, suffer through your way to deliver something. And I understand how (laughs) Elixir uh, made it better and uh, why it caught my attention. But uh, before Erlang, if you going not forward, <laughs> but backwards. I discovered it and decided to go for Erlang also and look at it uh, around 2011, I guess. 
By this time, I got a lot of exposure to concurrency in Ruby. So before this, I worked for three years with Ruby and uh, learned a great deal of uh, concurrency with threads, fibers. There was an interesting framework, Celluloid, which was actor-based. And this is how I discovered that beyond Ruby actors in Celluloid, there is actually a Erlang. But... When you deal with Ruby, you of course know that there is a global interpreter lock that uh, just makes it not truly concurrent. You express something concurrent, but in reality, it gives only benefits if you will be able to offload some waiting time like IO. And uh, I wasn't impressed enough and decided that I need something bigger and better. Uh, and around that time, I also started to learn more functional languages. It was standard ML. It was Racket also. And then uh, maybe this is another reason why I like Elixir. And when I saw it at at first time that uh, I saw potential for uh, metaprogramming. It was, uh, I'm not sure if it was introduced from the very beginning, but it was quite early. The idea of home iconic uh, structures in the languages. This was another selling point. Like to me, when I saw how you do this in uh, Lisp-like languages, and instantly it was, wow, this is nice. You have reasonable concurrency, you have extremely powerful uh, virtual machine, and then you have also metaprogramming. Not necessarily Ruby-like. There is, I don't think we should use probably word metaprogramming because it can mean very different things. But in this aspect, I would say it's uh, metaprogramming through homo-iconic uh, structure of the language, aspects of the language. This is the first time, and uh, so far, before uh, I saw Elixir, maybe this helped, as I said. I already was sold on idea on the virtual machine. Syntaxes of uh, Ruby was nothing new to me, and also idea of uh, metaprogramming. That was all what I wanted at this time. So how did you get from having this interest? You said you came up through kind of a Ruby path, but you had already discovered Erlang and loved the ideas of the actor model, the beam and everything. So how did you then end up starting to get involved with Elixir, the language itself? How did you start getting involved in like committing to that? It's a big thing, maybe bigger thing back then. 10 years ago to change a language. It's more dramatic than nowadays, I I think. But I still thought it will be a right bet to do. I'll go full in because uh, actually before this, I already had uh, more of experience to open source through Ruby on Rails. I contributed some Ruby on Rails things. Also, Rubinius, I believe there was few contributions to it as well. Rubinius, it's a pure Ruby right concurrent implementation, but which didn't survive. I I don't think it is around anymore. So I I decided I'll uh, learn Elixir and I get better just by contributing and reading uh, through code, checking how it evolves. This gives a better understanding behind the concepts and uh, will make me a better programmer because changing career, I I thought it will be much better to do it uh, like with a boost effect by learning through source code. And that actually helps. I still believe this is a very valid pattern for people to learn new things. It's to 
read how it is expressed uh, underneath, what, what is it is behind. And it's not necessary if you want to be expert in something. I think reading source code makes you to pick up some patterns, understand them, and apply to your daily job, which I decided to do. And around that time, I focused on two things reading, contributing whenever it's possible. And uh, it's good the discussions was public, just follow and uh, understand what was there. But then another factor to get into Elixir was starting experimenting. This is another important thing when you pick up a new technology tool, whatever. I decided I, I'll write a message pack deserializer library. And uh, this was first pro- my first production Elixir library released in 2014, I guess. And around the same time, I, I thought I'll go full in even more. So I, I joined around the time Matasana Crypto Challenges. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever participated. It was a fun activity. So h- how it worked, uh, you join a challenge where you receive tasks around cri- cryptography uh, and their complexity goes on and on. So you progressing, but you cannot uh, check any later before you complete the first set. So you, you receive, it was like you receiving a, by my email, the next level of tasks. So I, I participated in this and uh, did <laughs> most of them in Elixir. This was fun that uh, I, I implemented from the beginning base encoding, how it works in Elixir. So this has also boosted my knowledge about Elixir and uh, desire <laughs> go even more forward. Another approach was interesting. I took all the books I read about Erlang and uh, rewrote all the exercises in the books with Elixir. And this made me progress much faster than uh, just waiting when things come. So essentially, I, I, I decided to focus and contribute more. This is how I came in. I, I started to pick up tasks around, uh, notice some things, improvements. Uh, big chunk of uh, improvements came actually from my interactions with Matasana Crypto Challenges, building message pack library. So when I build something, I realized, oh, this is not optimal, or this is could be better, or there is a missing function, or there is a missing approach, which I used to see in uh, Ruby, for example. And then I just started to pick up a few things and bring, uh, discuss if it's necessary. But many improvements also was around the code itself, which I still believe is an important factor. And maybe why I also started to contribute to Elixir, because this whole decision was based on the Jose personality himself, because I already interacted with him by this time through pull request in Ruby on Rails. And I, I saw how it is. I know that uh, it will be reasonable, always to the point. It felt no uh, unnecessary just to discussions on related topics and uh, his desire for quality, which I also share that quality, you, you put more efforts into thinking up front, then just deliver something and then see how it goes. I, I think this is what also made me to feel, yeah, I, I, I would like to try and, and see how it goes. It's interesting. You, you said you came in around 2012 and it's currently coming towards the end of 2021. That means you're about 10 years into Elixir, which is 
probably one of the one of the few folks that have been working in Elixir for that long. Soon I finally can apply to a job saying we need 10 years of Elixir experience. <laughs> that correlates pretty well with how old Elixir even is, right? I, I know technically speaking, the first commit was more than 10 years ago at this point, but it, it didn't look like Elixir. It wasn't really Elixir. And so Elixir's 10-year anniversary is, is about to be upon us, right? Yeah. And uh, back then, definitely Elixir wasn't looking like it is right now. That was even at the very early stage of its development idea of object-oriented style of writing. And this was when I wasn't sure if I should <laughs> commit or, or not, because uh, this is not what I, I was after for my next language or for the future. I still was very into real functional languages, more like uh, dealing with Erlang uh, by, by that moment for a year. I knew that just doing better Erlang would be just the next level for the humanity. Good, good enough to uh, start like like that, not necessarily replicate Ruby. And uh, there is still some traces, I think. But it was really early stage. And even then, when idea was to develop normal functional language, more interability with Erlang, Elixir had a lot of changes to syntax. I still remember one of my examples from the Erlang books I did with one syntax, and then two months later, it was different. So it it would not compile. It was like 0.7, and then syntax changed like 0.10, probably. It was the biggest, probably, what I remember right now, much. It was much instead of case, something like that, and keywords like syntax for matching patterns. What parts of Elixir interested you that you got really excited about that you helped develop on, you know, things like the ENA module, ports and NIST, you know, it, what parts of those did you have a big hand in? There was many interesting, really interesting developments back then. And uh, some of pull requests I still remember have like 100 <laughs> plus uh, discussion comments uh, in it. Uh, one of the biggest, which I really enjoyed and it was nice. It's a capture log. Oh, yes. Which I introduced. And uh, during this pull request, you, you can even see nowadays uh, that we decided to start with something overly complicated, but not necessarily bad. There was a very interesting idea that we capture log for each process itself through a proxy process by taking over the group leader of the process. I actually implemented this, but then during the discussion, we decided maybe it's too too advanced. Maybe it doesn't actually cover the needs we want right away. Maybe it's too much thinking about future, not necessary right now. And we decided to go with something much simpler, which is much better. It was two, three hundred lines removal after after a discussion in this pull request. So we, we went with how it is right now. I love capture log. Every new project, that's one of the first things. Once I start writing tests, it's like, I want this feature here. And just for you, dear listener, in case you haven't used this, Alexi, please, you can explain this. But the way I would kind of explain it is there's a little bit of config you do in your test setup to say, I want to capture the logs. And so when a test is running, any log messages that are generated when that test is running and the test fails, it can output these are all the log messages that I saw while this test was running. And that is really helpful just to be able to pull it all together and see, oh, these are the things that were going on so I can trace using log messages. But also, 
it's really cool because when you're dealing with concurrency and that my tests can all run concurrently, I can have con- uh, this test file is running the same time this other test file is, means that the logs that are generated in one test will show up and be captured by uh, this other test that's running. It's cool that that works. So whenever I'm trying to debug something, I'm running a single test in isolation. But I love capture log because you can have tests that validate the presence of a log message to say that if this goes wrong, if something happens here, this should be logged. And you can do that because of capture log. So I think it's great. I love it. To me, it also was uh, probably 2015 around that. Uh, it was one of the uh, biggest interactions uh, like in the team. I, I'm not sure if I was part, probably not uh, at this moment, but uh, this is what was the biggest impact uh, I did around that time. But later, another thing what which I contributed and personally, I, I really enjoy every, every time seeing it. It's uh, diff functionality in X unit. So all this coloring and stuff. And it was Really fun to make it happen because it required not just implement, like, you know, and have all the tooling, but it's first required me to implement diff ONM uh, optimized algorithm for finding a smallest distance between lists of some content. It's Myers distance uh, difference. Then it also required later to implement back distance. It's algorithm for which we run before uh, deciding if we should compare strings because comparing strings will be quite expensive. But uh, this algorithm is very imprecise. It's really just uh, telling you, should you run and continue with your diffing or not? And all this was <laughs> incorporated in one big pull request, which is also was fun. So those are two big XUnit examples you gave. So it sounds like you had a lot to do with uh, the, the testing culture in Elixir, which is I'm very thankful for, by the way. Yeah, you mentioned when you're talking about Erlang, how some of the things you missed was the developer tooling. And is that part of what you were then contributing over here? Is like, I want to help with the developer experience. Is that kind of what drove that? Honestly, I don't think I had any aim or target like this is area I will improve or cover. I was especially at the early development stages of Elixir, just give me anything, I'll do anything. Like, I want this to progress as fast as possible to the greatest success. Like, I'll do it. And uh, that's why I did a big chunk of work around uh, compiler itself and uh, some uh, macro improvements. For example, one of additions that uh, I also enjoy using, and uh, it comes from other functional languages, is with. Uh, which made us to write even more expressive code. So it was easy to decide. Do you want to introduce this? Yes, I, I will do it. <laughs> With is powerful. I didn't appreciate it at first. And then as, as I was writing it, I realized what it was doing was that the main thing for me that it does is that it puts the happy path first. And I need to remember that I need to program happy path first. And, and With allows me to do that. So it's not just like the technical achievement of implementing with that you should be proud of, really. It's the psychological effect of implementing with that you have on all Elixir developers at this point, too, right? They now get to be able to program with the happy path first in mind and then start putting in clauses or let it fall through whatever clauses to, you know, capture any unhappy paths. With is interesting. I didn't appreciate it at first, (laughs) but now I do. Yeah, it's like uh, ultra 
simplified monad from other languages. Like you, you, to some degree, yes. But why not? It's quite ultra simplified version of it, which is nice. And uh, even in its simple shape, it delivers uh, a lot. And uh, as I said, it makes us to express the ideas and code much better. Which is one of the things uh, we should optimize for, right? We we don't optimize uh, writing code. We optimize the reading. So you'd mentioned earlier that you work f- at Forza Football. And I am curious because being involved with all the discussions that happen with Elixir, where there's, there's the discussion forum where you're talking about proposals that other people are making. This is a good idea. This is a bad idea. That's probably a lot of time that's involved with just not even writing code, but just the discussion of what is good to do in the Elixir code base. Is any of your time sponsored? Is this all just your personal time? How do you divide that up? There was never like dedicated sponsorship for my time. I, I don't believe ever, but uh, I still spend some of the time just with negotiating uh, at Forza. Like this is reasonable to do because it will make our life at development uh, team much better. Let's do it. And then we did it. So there was... Uh, freedom to make it happen. Also, Forza for a long time had the idea uh, of 10% time where one day a week you can do whatever you want that contributes to the company to some degree. Like you can write a blog post, you can read a book which makes you better. So there, there was really a chunk of time that not sponsored with aim to improve Elixir, but it was... 10% for a long time, uh, which I used for Elixir. But too big amount of time, it was uh, really my own time, my curiosity and interest just to make this whole thing to progress. But uh, at the same time, as uh, th- this also might explain why I'm not super active in Elixir forum or Stack Overflow or like discussions, because it's ultra time consuming. It's really a lot of thing. And uh, to me, I better dedicate this into some producing some code or reviewing pull requests where I think I can effectively spend the same time, but it, the impact will be bigger. Uh, that's why sometimes I believe that I, I know how much efforts and uh, how costly to communicate on, on forums, all this uh, media, just to even communicate with people. Uh, this makes me, since I know the cost, sometimes think that uh, Jose probably not, not a human. He's like a robotic re- creature because where he gets all his time to make this <laughs> happen. So do you see any opportunities for improvement in Elixir? And this is a broad question. It can be libraries, core community aspects, any of these aspects that you see opportunity for improvement? There is always opportunity for uh, improvements. Let's get philosophical. <laughs> there is no no end state in any activity, I think. Uh, yeah, but uh, if we just try to look for where we get the bigger impact for the language and uh, for future programmer generations, I think it will be not core because core quite solidified. It's really stable. There is mostly improvements nowadays around uh, experience with the language and uh, there are still some ideas how to make it better. But all in all, I think where everyone should look 
to make it uh, better and more appreciated. It's libraries where, where we improve the set and uh, possibilities of the platform. Also community to make it better. But I don't think we have issues or community needs to be improved super much. Uh, to me, again, from my perspective of dealing more with code, I think libraries is a really important thing. That's uh, to some degree relates to my less of activity in the core development nowadays as well. I had a lot of development years ago, but nowadays it's more libraries. Various different libraries I, I collaborate with people, not just under my own GitHub profile. I, I sometimes collaborate and release libraries with different people. Like we recently released Forgery. It's a library to deal with uh, data generation for tests, which uh, we use uh, in all Forza companies and we f find it much better in aspects that it's ultra simple doesn't uh, need you even understand how it works behind. It's just one file. But at the same time, it doesn't make decisions for you. There is a lot of uh, naked functionality without defaults or decisions that's hidden, for example, in uh, X machine, which we used before, but uh, sometimes it was data transformations that we didn't expect and it lived inside our tests for years and then we were surprised to discover that this test actually for a year should not even be passing but it was just because daytime was transformed to naive daytime magically in your opinion have you noticed any large gaps in missing libraries or libraries that maybe you're missing from other ecosystems that you've come from it's a hard question to answer because uh, a lot of missing parts <laughs> we were able to implement ourselves at Forza, which uh, just totally fine and sensible. Uh, I know there is some discussions in the community around not everyone willing to implement all the uh, some libraries or not necessary matters related to the business, but we never had this issue and we just implemented ourselves. But one point that really was suffering point for a long time, it was lack of robust and uh, how to put this nicely, good uh, HTTP client, which we have nowadays that made it possible as a toolkit and now Finch. So this has just resolved it because before it was Hackney, eyebrows, mostly either of these. Because uh, we, we also never used in, in Forza, we have a kind of rule, don't use wrappers because they just don't bring any value. They might improve experience, but not to the degree of to warrant their addition to your project. So we really never used uh, like HTTP poison, potion, whatever exists. And for other libraries, we usually went for the more naked implementations. And th this was usually the issue that with Hackney, you had security first. It was reasonable secure defaults, but uh, it was slow and not always without bugs because it, it has very small test sheet. And uh, th there was events we, we noticed throughout the years when one bug gets fixed and then two, three releases later, it was reintroduced. And this appeared at least three times with handling of HTTP responses without body. So th this was not that nice, but th this was the main 
point of pain, I would say. There was uh, another interesting thing which we implemented again ourselves. It was Cassandra Driver. We started uh, at Forza, one of first tasks when I joined, and this might be also important to know that it's already six years I work at Forza, and uh, I started with greater rewrite of uh, legacy push notification system. It was... uh, part of monolith integrated and it was just uh, basic how you do it naively just read from database build payloads send over that's all but we decided it's not to the needs of the business because it started to be extremely slow and there is one important thing what for the football delivers it's push notifications to the football fans and imagine when you have uh, not everyone probably follow European football but there is can be a football match where you have each team has 3 million subscribers and then you need to deliver a goal for 5 million subscribers and delivering a goal it means you need to deliver a goal within few seconds ideally because uh, if you deliver one minute later it's just garbage it's uh, you are not a live score application anymore and this is what uh, was happening before the elixir has been introduced and uh, to make this happen to push within seconds and right now we do like one million in a second or a couple of seconds push to make this happen, we used Elixir for the sake of concurrency, fault-tolerant properties, all this stuff. But also Cassandra was a very instrumental part of the speed. And at this time, we had the issue that existing uh, drivers were uh, solving some of the needs, basic needs of who created the driver, but not all of our needs. And we started with... Uh, Erlang driver, but eventually we wrote our own. And uh, this was done by me and Andrea Leopardi, who also part of the core team. So we, we made the Cassandra driver for Elixir together. That's actually another fun fact maybe about Forza. That there was a moment at time when half of Elixir team was working at Forza Football. It was uh, me, Andrea, and uh, Eric. I feel like I've come into that too. It's not so much like the basics of just getting the language to work and having the tooling to make it work and be well, but it's those specific things. If no one else is using Cassandra and you, you have to write the driver, you got to do that. It's, it's not missing. It's, it's those specific things that you might need for your, your job that might still be lacking. You mentioned Cassandra and you also mentioned the HTTP client, which is a little bit more foundational, I think. So I think we're past that now. Do you sense that there's any other part of the ecosystem, not necessarily a specific thing like Cassandra, but for example, gRPC? Do you think that there is a a story where Elixir is weakened? I personally don't know if there is any specific that you, you really cannot do yourself in a quick uh, manner as well. For example, some can say there is no clustering, but we have clustering uh, in many aspects, even with libraries. I'm not sure what really is missing for engineering, like application engineering. To me right now, the biggest uh, impact on Elixir community could be done by exploring beyond Elixir in 
standard application engineering. I don't know how to put this, what general core functionality of what, uh, what you can do in most languages. You can do in Elixir as well now, right now. But looking beyond this is what very much necessary. And, uh, as you see, uh, just already doing this by uh, neural NX. This is one of, uh, important journeys towards better elixir and uh, bigger adoption. Then we also have uh, membrane. I guess this is the point that not necessarily libraries missing, but maybe some more of a platform or product that can be used to build another product, something in a bigger sense. Uh, that might, might be missing. But in terms of libraries, what this missing is only something that very targeted and maybe for a small group of people. Nowadays, we, we realize that we release a, in a week caching library that we use at Forza Football. And uh, we, of course, checked what exists right now and what they solve. But uh, we, we built our own for the specific use case that you need to sustain uh, reads writes of uh, hundreds thousands per second without any issue. And uh, most importantly, one of the really important aspects what we looked for, it was protection against uh, stampede effect when you have uh, like, there is a classic definition of cash stampede issue. So this was an uh, important thing. And I, I, I definitely believe that libraries that we have right now, they are very solid and fine, but not necessarily solve the stampede issue, or if they solve, not under hundreds of thousands writes per second. So earlier, you'd mentioned this idea when you first started kind of contributing to Elixir, and you said, I'll do whatever needs to be done. I want this to be accepted. I want it to grow. I want it to, to go far. How do you feel it's gone? Just looking back now, it's 10 years, right? That's huge. How do you feel Elixir has developed over that time? Like, where is it now? It went very well for me personally, that uh, I definitely improved, learned uh, a lot. I'm a better than it was years ago, for sure. I guess this is obvious for everyone that the goal to be better every day, uh, not stagnate. So uh, for myself, I can say that that worked well. For Elixir, I think it's also worked very well. In fact, uh, some relation to, to the question in regards libraries and what's missing, <laughs> I just realized about development and Elixir itself that we have uh, around 14, 15 microservices that for the football for different purposes sets. And uh, some of them use Elixir 1.8. And uh, it's just fine. E even if we develop nowadays new features, it works. Uh, we, we don't necessarily need to upgrade because there is some maybe dependencies that not uh, upgraded to support new OTP, and we still depend on them. But that's fine. All all what we have in this 1.8 of Elixir just uh, makes it possible to have a business product. Th this means for Elixir, I think that's, that's, that was great. It, it, it uh, developed well. But what I like especially that uh, Elixir had very big influence on uh, development of OTP and Erlang itself, that there was a lot of synergy going for the previous years, influence of uh, adding bytecode chunks to support, for example, uh, UTF-8 uh, uh, encoding for atoms. Now we have uh, XDoc support. Uh, and this is just a few examples. Uh, it was Unicode string 
module logger got highly influenced by uh, Elixir. There was a lot of things happening, a lot of influence in regards our structs, why we have structs, compilation, how, how it affects the compilation time. I believe that, that was quite great. And uh, by proxy, it's uh, boosted interest to Erlang itself, which is uh, also nice. Well, Alexi, we're coming up to our time and I've really enjoyed talking with you, getting a better insight to what interested you in Elixir, what brought you here and kind of your story with it. And I think it's been fun to appreciate and just kind of look back over that, what's almost coming up on 10 years. But maybe for the last question, we can kind of close out with something else. Like when you step away from your computer, when you're not doing anything with computers, what do you do for entertainment or fun or just something that interests you? This also expressed in my uh, description on uh, Twitter, I believe, and other social places. That uh, I am a big fan of uh, tea, and I have even bigger experience with tea than uh, Elixir. <laughs> I mean, professional experience, let's say. That uh, I got interested into tea extremely to the extreme extent uh, in 2007 so are you saying tea the thing that people drink yes exactly okay. so uh, i i'm really into tea the, the, the thing <laughs> people drink so um and tea uh, it's a very interesting uh, i i have a lot of knowledge in terms of chemistry how it grows what affects uh, like soil all this stuff my desire may be grow tea as well but uh, climate needs to be extremely specific also tea variations itself there is three, four hundred T options. Uh, there is a lot of uh, things that people even confused and don't uh, aware. Some people believe that green and black tea, it's a different uh, tea. In fact, like it's a different trees or different products. But in fact, it's just uh, one oxidized more than the other. And there are universe of taste and uh, possibilities. Even from one group of tea, like if we take puer, for example, the soil can affect quite a lot the outcome. And of course, this extends, at least for me, to ceramics. I, I'm interested in ceramics, all, all, all uh, uh, the process itself, also teapots, how they made uh, like craftsmanship sense of producing uh, like ceramical goods. This is to kind of be along while you coding. But outside, when, when I'm not in front of computer, not doing anything, then uh, I'll do climbing, rock climbing. I have also great interest. And uh, if people are interested right now in around 7A in terms of uh, difficulty, there is few different options how you assign difficulty to a problem in climbing, but uh, I guess I don't remember which this, uh, how this uh, gray is called, but I do 7A right now. It's not French. In French, they probably use V, but you, you, you know, there is a translation from, from one to another. Yeah. And uh, hiking, I, I believe that uh, keeps you healthy. Yeah. Well, Sweden has some beautiful places to go enjoy hiking too. So that's awesome. Well, thank you, Alexei, for joining us. Uh, if people want to follow you online, kind of hear about things that you're working on or just anything you find interesting, where would they go to do that? I'm uh, Lex Mug on uh, all places on internet, if possible. So, uh, but I 
don't use that many social networks, but uh, the biggest probably where I present most of the time is Twitter, GitHub. But uh, you can try to see us in, in uh, social networks with Lexmark if you want. Maybe you will find some fun stuff. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.